Let's Get Fresh, the podcast for those passionate about growing their business through the power of connection. At Fresh, we've thrown out the rule book on networking as you may know it, and we've written our own. Think more connections, less blah, and a whole lot of ooh-la-la. Get ready to explore all things networking and business under the guise of fun, as world-class guests and relatable conversations collide, resulting in education, inspiration, and growth for you. G'day everyone, welcome back to the Let's Get Fresh podcast. I'm super excited to introduce you to today's guest. See how fast I'm talking, that's how excited I am. I've got Stephen Sheila and he is the former CEO of Facebook Australia in New Zealand. So as you can imagine, he's had a wealth of experience in some things such as building cultures and leadership and these are a couple of the questions that I throw his way for discussion along with getting some thoughts around what makes some ideas and businesses work and how do we get stuff off the ground. We talk about a bunch of stuff, so I hope you guys really enjoy it. And if you do, don't forget to share it with your friends and let us know what you've loved and what you'd love to hear more of. Enjoy. Darren Kelk from Travel Managers Australia is excited to be sponsoring this episode of Let's Get Fresh. Darren and his team make dreams come true 24 hours a day, seven days a week. They are mobile travel agents who are your one-stop shop for all of your personal and company travel needs. They specialise in international corporate travel, cruises, tours and package holidays throughout Asia, United States, Canada and Europe. With over 21 years of experience in travel, their clients feel safe and at ease knowing that all aspects of their travel is personally managed, which is so important right now with so much disruption around the world. Remember, without a personal travel manager, you're on your own. So check out Darren's details in the show notes to this episode and reach out to him today. Stephen Sheila, welcome to the Let's Get Fresh podcast. Great to be here, Tiffany. Thanks for the um, the thanks for asking me to join. I'm really excited to be here. You were one of the first people that sprung to mind. I thought, who who has had to reinvent themselves and become really fresh at some point in their career? And well, you definitely fit the bill, don't you? Some days I don't feel fresh, but uh, yeah, it's funny. I, I feel like um, I feel very lucky in, in a sense of my career and what I've done. I. Somebody asked me today, we're having, I, I run a company, I'll tell you a bit about it. But one of my guys said, you know, how do I define leadership? And I was just like, hire people better than you and get them to do the best, the work that they can and, and make sure that you keep them happy and healthy and fulfilled. Like, that's it. And I feel like probably the one thing I've been good at in my whole life is that. And I've been bad at a lot of other things and I'm not that smart, I don't think. But that's one thing I seem to have been reasonably good at. So uh, my wife says I'm a great delegator too. And I do love, I love to give other people things to do because otherwise um, you're not going to make any progress. And and if you can't get great people to work with you and for you and then give them their head, you know, let them do what they want to do, you'll never get anywhere. And so I think that's kept me fresh and it re- renews and revitalizes my, my talents and skills as well. Cause I learn new stuff every single day from the people that I work with. Oh, you said so much that had impact there. And one of the things was the first, you know, when you think of leader, or when I think of leadership, and I'm sure I'm not alone, but when you think of being a leader, you don't really associate that with leading people better than you, do you? Like, 
hiring people better than you. You think I'm the leader. I'm 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 aspiring or trying to be the best. Yeah, yeah. I think look, there's probably many kinds of leaders. I've never been, you know, in the heat of battle, and I'm sure there, you know, you want people that are, you know, just the ones that are out in front and you know the first ones to take the bullets. But, you know, most of us don't have to live in that world. We live in the world of business or organizations that we're trying to build. And there, I think, particularly in the 21st century, this idea of, you know, the leader is the servant to the people in the organization rather than those people are the servants to the leader. I think that is definitely true today. And I feel like that's the way I think about it. I, I have a I have a definition of my job. I call it my job description and I've used it for years now and it's two sentences. It's, and this is it. It's my job is to make you successful period. Right. Nothing else. That's my job is to make you successful. Why else are you here? Right. Why else am I here? And so I think if you can define yourself pretty simply that way and then really get focused on that and try to develop your own skills to bring, to, to achieve that, you will be a better leader and you'll find that the pe- people want to work with you. People, people love working with you. People get the most out of working with you. That's the, that's worked for me. Other people have their own formulas, but that's what works for me. Yeah. Give my, give me the two minute snapshot of your career or careers. Yeah. The way I describe it is I, I wore a backpack in my twenties. I wore a suit and tie in my thirties and I dressed like this sort of a t-shirt sort of uh, ever since. Um, and that's a simplification. But when I was in, um, I'm from upstate New York, a small town. And when I was in school, I was pretty, um, I was pretty frustrated by, by school, actually. Um, just because I didn't find it challenging enough. And I was I had small town fever. So I luckily I accelerated, I graduated from school, high school a year early, which you can do and where I come from. So I, that was a great move. I had a, I had a, like a career counselor suggests that to me. I never thought of it myself. She said, just graduate, graduate early. So that was the best advice I ever had. So I got out of high school. I didn't drop out. I still got my degree. And then I went out into the world and um, I traveled a lot. I wound up getting, finally getting uh, my university degree uh, from a, from a, these, a good university. I, want, I always feel like if you're going to do education, try to go to the best school you possibly can. So that's what I did. And um, so I got my piece of paper. But then I remember when I got my piece of paper, I was like, I had no idea what I was going to do for a living. I had no idea. Zero. I was I, I can remember the day I, I walked out of my kind of graduation ceremony at my university it was in the U.S. And I just thought to myself, OK, now now what? <laughs> now what do I do? And I immediately thought I should. I better apply for law school or something. I bet maybe I'll become a lawyer. That's a good idea. And then I realized <laughs> I want to be a lawyer. Um, and so that's what sort of triggered the backpack phase. Where I said, well, I've traveled already a lot in my teens. So I thought, oh, I'll just do that some more. So I just got the backpack back on and I traveled for the next sort of eight or nine years. I just went around the world a lot, made enough money, spent it, made it, spent it, started a couple of small businesses along the way. And then when I got to about uh, 29, 30, I realized I probably needed to get a real job. And so my solution to that was to go and get another degree. So I, you know, so I went and I got an MBA and it partly as a stalling mechanism to delay the decision. About I'm what seeing I'm a theme. I'm seeing a theme. 
<laughs> yeah. Also to figure out like, what should I, what should I good at? My first degree was in history. And then I went to do an MBA because I thought, I thought business would be really useful for me. I thought oh, I'm going to learn some things that'll be handy yeah. for me, you know, because once you get out of um, uni, you kind of realize most of the world revolves around money. Right. And I was very idealistic in university, but then you get out and you realize, well, the world revolves around money and, and business school, I thought would teach me about, you know, economics and marketing and how money kind of works, how businesses. And it did. It taught me all those things. So then I went off and I got a job as a management consultant. Luckily, those back in those days, those companies hired people like me who had, who had pretty good academic background, but really no practical experience. And so that made me really focused on how do you build businesses strategy? I was a strategy consultant. So I was working for a pretty big firm. And then suddenly I was, you know, within, <laughs> within like weeks of getting, leaving my uh, MBA program, you know, I'm sitting in boardrooms advising, you know, boards of directors, what to do with their multi-billion dollar company. And I had no idea what I was doing. Right. I was oh, just, wow. I was making it up. And then <laughs> you, you kind of look around, you think everybody knows so much. And then you realize, well, actually most people are just kind of making it up as they go along. And they just, they, they just, they've got, they know enough to make a decision or to make a move. And so that gave me more confidence to say, well, I'm, I'm pretty smart. I can learn quickly. So that, that led to a number of jobs that were in that kind of space, like as a kind of a, kind of the smart strategy guy for big companies. And then I left that and I started to do some startups back in the late nineties. I got a little frustrated with the suit and tie world. And I thought, well, let's do some startups. The internet was happening. Um, and so I did a few startups, some went well, some didn't go well, but I learned a lot. I met a lot of interesting people. I spent time in Silicon Valley. And then, uh, uh eventually, um, Facebook came along. And, uh, so uh, I was doing little tech, you know, little started up and they came along They're big tech, but it was still tech. And so they asked me to come and help build Facebook, which was a really reasonable. It was a new company then, but it was still a lot bigger than anything I'd worked in, in the tech world. And so I was, I got on the Facebook kind of roller coaster, and then that went on for uh, a whole bunch of years while I was there. And then I left Facebook a few years ago, and now I'm, I'm kind of back to what I loved from the '90s. I'm doing a lot of, I'm doing small business and startups again, and I'm particularly involved in one startup which is called Omniscient Neurotechnology, and Omniscient means all knowing, knows everything. And we, I've got a bunch of neuroscientists and data scientists and cloud scientists who are all, we're all, we've all come together and we build the most advanced maps of the human brain in the world. We're a brain mapping company. And there's not, we're probably the only company in the world that does what we do in the way that we do it. And I don't know anything about neuroscience or I know a bit about data science, but neuroscience was new to me. So I've, I've actually, uh, I learn every day. I work with really brilliant people with PhDs in neuroscience from Cambridge and, you know, super smart people and we're building this whole new type of technology that we think is going to, we hope will change the world. And so um, the arc of anybody's career, this is what I say, actually tomorrow I'm going down to Melbourne. I'm speaking at Monash university, shout out to Monash, love, love Melbourne. Can't wait to get down there. Um, and they're having me come in and speak to some of the, the new, the orientation students, the, the first year kids. I think it's 5,000 kids, uh, and I call them kids, but, you know, that young <laughs> students coming in. And a lot of them, you know, it's like, hey, tell us about your career and stuff. And one of the points I make is the job I have now didn't exist. The company I run now 
this type of company didn't exist when I went to university. Didn't even exist. And so it's hard, you know, what I, what I tell students is don't get so worried about what you're going to study. Mm. Me, do what you love, whatever it is. If you want to do basket weaving because you love it, just do basket weaving. Just do it at the best basket weaving place you can get into. Because I do think it matters that you go to, don't just go to what's near home or easy. Go to the, go test yourself against the best basket weavers in the world. Get that basket weaving certificate or diploma or degree and learn how to learn. That's what you should do. So if you can learn how to learn, you learn the talent for the rest of your life. If you just learn a skill and you don't learn how to learn, that your skill will probably become obsolete by the time you're 30 or 40 years old. So you, you need to learn, learn these, these translational skills. Um, and that'll be my message to the guys uh, down in Melbourne tomorrow. I love that. There's a couple of things you said there. And I think, you know, I definitely related to, I remember being at school and looking at the list of things you can be and just having no idea and but i know my level of attention span and i what i did know about myself at that time was i didn't have a very good attention span for things past a certain point so i knew for six months i'd have an attention span for something but if it, if it didn't ha if i didn't have a deep yearning for it i wasn't going to stick at it so i so I didn't go to uni. I was like, I don't even know where to start. And, you know, it's interesting because what I do now two years ago or even just a little over 18 months ago, but right the moment, the week before I started it, I was never going to be a podcaster. I didn't even, that wasn't even on my list of options. And I think small business can be the same in terms of we go out and we create a small business, we create something, and then when we go and take it to market, we try and... I've used this term a lot lately, but squeeze our round selves into square holes and we try and be what people expect us to be rather than go out and say, hey, I'm super passionate about this. This is who I am because business is the people that are in it rather yes. than the yeah. whatever we try and pretend yeah. that it is. Yeah, yeah. And I think um, and small, and the word small business, I run, I run a small business now. I have 100 people that work for me, Australia, US, China, we have them all, uh, all over the world. It's a little different that in, in, in that it's a it's a it's funded by investors who've come in and put the money in. So we haven't bootstrapped it, but we've gone up and raised a, a lot of money to hire those people very quickly. Yeah. But it's the same thing in the sense that we're we've we're trying to start from virtually nothing. We're trying to build a whole new, we're building a new category really. The product we make is 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 kind of brand new in the world. So we have to kind of ex almost explain what it is to the people yeah, what, who sell What it. is brain mapping? In simple terms, we take, uh, we, we focus on the medical sphere today. So our, our current customers are brain surgeons. And if you're going to get a brain surgery, you, your brain surgeon will send you for an MRI. Um, you know, most of us have had CAT scans or CT scans or M many of MRIs. We'll send you for an MRI. Well, we take the data from that MRI and then we pull it up into the cloud and we run all these algorithms against it. So this is machine learning AI. We're an AI company. Hmm. And so we take that data and then we use that data to map all the networks in your brain. Your, your brain, my brain, all of our brains are just networks of networks. It's like a big, like the, your house has got all these wiring in it. Your brain's the same thing. Your brain has all this wiring in it. And the, and the way you uh, function and the things that go wrong with you, if it's uh, mental illness or Alzheimer's, et cetera, 
ultimately is a malfunction of your brain networks. And sometimes it's caused by other things, chemicals and genes and stuff uh, and environments, but it's ultimately it affects a brain network. So if you, if you've got, if somebody has got mental illness or PTSD or ADHD, ADD, doesn't matter what it is. If you're depressed, your brain networks are a little out of line. Uh, we've kind of known this science has known this for a long time, but the challenge has been, well, how do you map it in a way that you can make sense of it? And so we map it so you can make sense of it. And we've started with brain surgeons because they already use maps today. They send you for an MRI and they look at it and they go, mm, okay, where's the tumor? Is the tumor, is it affecting what parts of the brain and how, when I'm going to remove that tumor, I want to make sure I, I take out as little and I affect as little of the healthy brain as I can. And that's hard to do with brain tumors because they kind of they get all entwined in your healthy brain. And so we build really, really good maps for those brain surgeons so they can see the networks in that person's brain so they won't cut through really important networks. And some of these networks are very new to science. They're hard to map by other methods, et cetera. So that's, that's one example of how you use brain maps. Now, uh, most of us will never need a brain surgery. So it's a pretty small market, but ultimately our bigger market is in things like mental health. So we can also map mental illnesses, um, anxiety disorders, depression, and we can map them down to symptom levels. So as many folks on the call will know, and 20% of Australians every year have a have an anxiety disorder or depression so, or a mental health issue. So it's a huge percentage of us. Um, but as you'll know, nobody scans your brain generally to try to help you. And the reason is today with that technology, it doesn't tell them, it doesn't tell your psychiatrist, your counselor, anything. But with our technology, using our machine learning to build the map, it can tell them everything. It'll literally be able, we can now map your, not just, hey, you're depressed, I'll, I'll simplify this, but we can say, no, here's your seven symptoms that are that are coming together that we call depression today, but we don't, science doesn't quite exactly know what else to call. It's like calling somebody a witch 300 years ago. <laughs> so you call you depressed, but you're not actually depressed. You have seven symptoms that are all entwined in mal malfunctioning of your brain networks. Well, we can map that now down to the individual little circuits in your brain. So we can now say, here's your sadness. Here's your, your feelings, feeling suicidal, which some people do here. We can map that in your brain. Here's your, here's your suicidality. And so first thing we should do is go after your suicidality. Let's, to let's tone that down. Let's, re let's reprogram those circuits. Let's rewire them so you don't kill yourself. And then we'll get on to some of the other things about what's causing your sadness. Now we'll, we'll fix that too. We'll reprogram those circuits. We'll, hey, you can't sleep at night. We'll deal with that. Hey, you're feeling a sense of low self-esteem. Now let's fix that. Now we, oh. we, we don't build the treatments for those things. We just build the maps. But the treatments are out there. It's the, it's the drugs people take. It's the cognitive behavioral therapy people do. It's different forms of uh, like um, something called transcranial magnetic stimulation, which is a magnetic beam that you, you beam at somebody said. We can guide and target and measure and track the eff efficacy of those treatments. A very uh, So it's a revolution in mental health. So that's our bigger play that we're now starting to build, not so much in Australia, we're building that, trying to build all that in the US right now. So hopefully in the future, a lot of folks here will start hearing about brain mapping, which is what we do and how it's transformative for things like mental health. Yeah, well, I, I do a lot of it mental health shows and I am going to be tugging your sleeve to do a deep dive on that because I am absolutely fascinated. But a question I've got right now is, 
so you're not a neuroscientist and you've create you're creating this company and this product and I want to I want to pick apart how we we create an idea and bring it to life and and why some people succeed and some people don't and how do we know if we've got a good vision and where do people fall over I'm fascinated yeah, these- by this especially on the topic you've just shared I'm like who even that's like I'm watching Star Wars <laughs> well you just raised some of the toughest questions about business, right? And if you zoom out a little bit, a lot of our, um, we ascribe uh, brilliant powers to people who are successful, right? Like, hey, <clears throat> that person's successful because they were better than somebody else, right? And a lot of, I, I believe, and I think, in, you know, research will show this, that actually a lot of it has to do with luck. Um, actually isn't that, you know, Elon Musk isn't necessarily smarter than everybody else. He's been luckier than a lot of other people. Um, he's probably is smarter too, but the, so when businesses fail or succeed, sometimes it's just being in the right place at the right time and the right things happen to that business or didn't happen to that business. And for those of us who had small businesses and they've failed, you'll know that there's the, the, the failure was often had nothing to do with the fundamentals of the business, the quality of the people or the vision or the plan. It had to do with you ran out of money uh, at a bad point in time. It had to do with a customer didn't pay you uh, a big check that you needed to, to keep the lights on. You you failed because somebody you'd hired um, quit on you at a bad time or had a, something in their life go wrong that meant that they went off another direction like you're dependent on great people as well as yourself and you're dependent on luck things going your way Mm. and sometimes luck doesn't go your way right in life and in business so don't beat yourself up too much it's just some of it's just luck but your question like about like you know how do you you know how do you create a vision how do you know it's the right vision you never know you never know if the right vision i think I think a couple of things, though, I think we should take um, kind of heart in. And I worked at Facebook for a lot of years, and and I'm I'm a, a sort of a critic of Facebook now. I'm not I don't go around criticizing it, but I get asked a lot. And a lot of us former Facebookers, we're now kind of constructive critics of the company we built and social media, mm-hmm. etc. But there are a lot of good things I learned, uh, many good things I learned at Facebook. And I'm very proud of the work I did there, and I have a lot of friends who are still there, as well as people who left. But one of the things I learned was something Mark said once, Mark Zuckerberg. And he was asking, you know, if you go back 20 years or 15 years ago, there were a lot of social networks, right? It was MySpace and Friendster and Bebo. And, you know, I'm sure we can think of or could to a whole bunch of lists and Google tried a social network. And, you know, and of course there's Twitter and others that have been around Snapchat more, uh, more recently. Mm. And the question was, like, why did Facebook succeed while the others all failed, right? And he had, a, he had a simple answer, which he used to share with us. He said, because we cared more. Like he actually thought it wasn't because it was smarter or we had better people or we had a better strategy. It's because we cared more. And so what did he mean by that? He meant we, tr- we didn't stop at a problem we couldn't solve. We didn't stop at that. We, we were relentless in trying to find a solution. Mm. Um, if we were... Facebook calls its people using the, the Facebook, they call them users, which is sort of a 
bad term, but the, you know, people who use technology call them users. So they would, he'd say, we cared more about our users than anybody else. We would, we would, we would stay up all night thinking about being obsessed by our users and how they behave, you know, what they needed and what they didn't like and what they wanted more of. And we would run, we would get all kinds of data and run kinds of all kinds of experiments on that. We'd hire really smart people to really go deep into the data that to tell us the things that weren't that were counterintuitive or that we, you know, or that we couldn't see with our own eyes. So it's like a obsession, like being obsessed, caring more. And I think that's really true. I think if you go to a lot of entrepreneurs who are successful, why did you, when you really go deep, why did you succeed? They'll say, well, we, I cared more. Like we cared more. I built a team that cared more than competitors and then others did. So yeah. I think there's a, a, still a lot about the heart here. It's not just the head. Um, and that's why I love the business I'm doing now, because I, 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 this is my way of trying to make a dent, positive dent in the universe. And uh, But you can do that with any company that you truly believe in. And if you're making a product or service that you truly believe customers you know, you you want them, you want it in the hands of customers, and uh, and there's, yeah, that can be a burger, it can be uh, washing powder, it doesn't matter. I mean, but to make the best product you can and get it to people, you know, and just having that heart, I think, really yeah. is, is a differentiator between succeeding and failing, and that's something I notice in entrepreneurs. It's the it's sometimes yeah, you want to know their vision and have they done this before and what's it, but often it's like how much do they really care, you know. Mm-hmm. And just how are they sweating blood to to get to the, get there? Or is this just like, a, you know, I am going to try this. And if I run into too much opposition, I'm going to quit. Uh, because I think the greatest entrepreneurs just don't quit. Right. They just keep yeah. going. How do we create? So I guess passion is like passion in an entrepreneur is almost like the culture of a business. So how do we take that and replicate it? And I know for myself, one of my biggest challenges is now this at, at the moment, an entrepreneur and I, and I do all of the things in what I've now created as my new business. And I have a very, uh, very common theme through everything speaks TIFF, the TIFF language, everything has the TIFF energy, everything. If it's an image, if it's a, if it's words, if it's a sound, if everything speaks Tiffany. And the hardest thing for myself is to look at, like you said before, delegating and then asking someone to adopt that. And it's now Fresh Networking, which is the organization that runs this podcast, has done just that and I've just watched in awe as Darren built this because he built one hub that had a very special vibe with I was one of the founding members there was a group of us and it had a vibe and it's been amazing to look five or six years down the track and people comment how different it is when you know the Really, the, the guts of it is is it's a networking group. We go, we meet, we introduce ourselves, much like many networking groups, but there's some, there's a different culture. And it's amazing. How do we – do you have the answer for how we do that? <laughs> I wish I did. <laughs> Darren I does. Be. Maybe I'll ask him. <laughs> I, I think uh, the question you're asking kind of boils down to, um, I think it boils down to are you – a passenger or are you a driver, right? Uh, and there's, there's what this concept I've, I've heard called trucks and trailers. There's two kinds of people in the world. There's trucks 
that pull everybody up the hill and there's trailers that get dragged up the hill. And I think the best organizations, every, everybody can't necessarily be a truck all the time, right? Because it can clash. But I think the best organizations get people at the front of that bus. They're the trucks. They're the ones that are pulling other people. They're making other people better. They're committed to making others better. Now, whether that's TIF language or whatever it is, it's, it's, it's a way of building a culture that's bigger than just one person. Oh, yeah. And, you know, human, you, we're, we're social creatures. This is the frustration of Zoom calls, which I hate. <laughs> we're not, it, it kills the socialization um, factor. It drives me crazy because I feel like I can't connect with people on Zoom calls at all. It absolutely drives me nuts. But hey, it's the world we're in. Um, and I think it's, it is it is that. Now, there's many ways of doing that. Like, it, there's no one formula. I think it depends on your personality, your style, the business you're trying to build, the people you're trying to, to attract and bring in. And, ha- and you want them to own you know, own the business as much as you do. Um, and there's, there's financial ways of doing that, giving people, you know, shares and, and, and ESOPs and options and stuff. Absolutely. But I think it's beyond that. It's, it's, it's getting their hearts and minds. And I think there, that's why it comes down to, um, you know, one of the, what's the, one of the big trends in the past 10, 20 years is mission driven companies, missions, right? We need missions. And if I simplify, the reason for that is, uh, is that the best people in the world today have a lot of choice about where they work and where they take their talents. This was not so true 30, 40, 50, 100 years ago, right? Like you're just happy you had a job. You're just happy you weren't starving to death. You know, like, you know, it's, you know, I'm sure we all had ancestors who worked in the coal mines and stuff for 70 years, got black lung disease and, you know, dropped dead at the, at the breakfast table. That's the way life was. You were just happy to have a job. Well, the best people today have a lot more options and they can choose where they want to work. And money is only one of the motivators, as we know. And the, the other is other motivators, but one of the biggest ones is what's my purpose? What's, what, why am I doing this? What's the purpose of my work? And even in, not everybody's affected by this. Some people aren't as purpose driven, but many, many people are becoming more. And I notice it's more in young people too. There's just a lot of, consciousness about you know impact on the environment or society or equality that they think about those are things i never thought about when i was a student but now uh, students always think about it and um and so that's why you need a mission that's why you you need to think through what's the mission of why do we exist as a company why what's the higher purpose of what we're trying to do even if it's you're making you're flipping burgers you know there's a higher purpose of why that's happening and it, you're trying to attract the best people. Even I've been a cook in a restaurant in my career and I've run, I've owned restaurants in my career and you want the best cooks, right? You, yeah. you want the ones that are going to stay there for five years, not five months. Um, and you have to give them a higher purpose with beyond just how much you pay them. Yes. And so it's, it's not just about a big companies like Facebook. It's little companies like restaurants and cafes. And how many of us have gone into a cafe or a restaurant or local business, and we're just—it's the people that matter, right? It's the and it's their dedication. Yeah. And you can see that 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 person acts like they own this place, right? They, it's it's 
it's, it just oozes out of them in everything that they do. And so uh, finding ways of doing that matter. What, and I, I had this little saying with Facebook that I now use here, which uh, sounds a little corny, but I, I, I would say to people, you, you don't work for omniscience. You are omniscient. You don't work for this company. You are this company. Like yeah. literally, we are nothing without you. And I actually thank all of the people who work for me when I first meet them, I, I tell them my job is to make you successful, period. That's my job description. Number one. Number two, thank you for bringing your talents to us. Um, thank you. I, I don't like, oh, good. it's good that you're here. You know, uh, you know, uh, you know mm. how many interviews do you have? And I looked at your CV. I don't care about your CV. I actually don't even read. I, I don't, I don't, I don't want to read your CV. Tell me about you. And then you're amazing. Thank God you're here. And thank you for bringing your talents to us because we need you. I need you. And so that's how I open when I meet new people who join us. And people come back to me and said, nobody ever talked to me that way. I've never had a boss talk to me that way. Thank you for bringing your talents here. I said, yeah, because you're super talented. You could go anywhere. You've come here. And so my job is now to make you happy, healthy, and fulfilled Every day you come here that you're just, you're feeling like, I love it here. I'm doing my best work. I'm advancing myself. I've got the balance in my life I need. Um, you know, all the things that matter to you, I want to deliver on. I want us to deliver on because otherwise you're going to walk out the door or you're not going to, we'll be less as a company because you won't be at the level that we know you can achieve. So Oh, anyway, so that, that's my kind of riff on, on what you just said. Yeah, Stephen, I love that. And, you know, I don't know if it's just, just me and my awareness and where I'm at, but I feel like businesses and employers are starting to realise that it's actually it's not about throwing more money at people, it's about creating that environment and giving them the right stuff and that the right stuff is different for different people. But also it's closely related. I don't know if it's yet transferring over into who our customers are and who we are to our customers and what we are. I had a similar conversation with another of the businesses in the network recently where we were talking about that, again, trying to push our square selves into round holes and be whatever we think that the person standing in front of us wants from the business rather than saying, hey, these are my values. This is what I'm here. This is what I'm passionate about offering. And if that matches, we are going to have a great relationship rather than it often comes down to price war. Or, you know, how important do you think it is that we that we look at that and understand where we sit in our businesses with that? Yeah, well, it's funny. I think we're coming. I was just talking to somebody about this the other day. I was I was at a, a, a Metcash asked me to come and do a do a little talk at, uh, to some of their suppliers. And a, a, the folks who don't know who Metcash is, if you know IGA, you know, the smaller supermarkets tend mm. to be in community, smaller communities. Well, that's. Medcash is kind of the is the company behind IGA. They're they're independently owned grocers, but Medcash is kind of the is the guys they supply them and they kind of knit them all together and 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 bring their marketing together. And uh, so they compete with Coles and Woolies. Now Coles and Woolies are big, you know, very well run companies, but they they own everything, right? They the guy when you walk into a Woolies, everybody who's in that Woolies works for Woolies. If you walk into a, uh, an IGA, it's that person doesn't work for Medcash; they work for that. They usually own that IGA. It's it's independently owned. 
And we were talking about how, ironically, in the age of the Internet and, um, you know, kind of, uh, you know, everything's big brands and things are at scale now, you know, globalization, that COVID has accelerated this. It's, it's a, we believe and they believe and they're seeing the energy that customers are caring a lot more about things that are local. And, yes. and personal relationships again, yeah. right? So like, I mean, think about the, the two years of COVID we've been through when your personal relationships were blown up, right? Yeah. Like you couldn't see people anymore. It was so exciting to get out the door and go to a cafe and actually talk to the barista, right? Because yeah. you hadn't done that for, for, for years or months. Yes. And, and I think as humans, and, and I think COVID is going to force this as well. You know, we're, we're, we're now hybrid workers, right? So I'm in the CBD of Sydney as we speak. I mean, it's, it's a ghost town. There's nobody here. Everybody's working from home. And so what are those people doing? Well, they're walking on the street to the local cafe. They're walking to their local bakery. They're going to the local chemists. They're, you know, they're going to the local bottle shop. They're going to the local restaurant. And so they're local. And so I think we are going to, as people, as consumers, rediscover local, rediscover one-to-one relationships, rediscover, hey, that person actually owns the business that I walked into. Yes. Rather than it's some brand. Now, brands will always have a role, but I really, I, 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 I'll tell you, there's a story that comes to my mind on this. When I, I live, used to live in a part of Sydney and there was a guy uh, where I used to take my car to be repaired. And, you know, the car repair business, he was an independent mechanic and he had he had his own business. And, you know, that, that can be a little it has a shady reputation sometimes. You know, how do I know they fixed my car? How do I know they did any work? They gave me a bill for a thousand dollars or five hundred bucks. I don't know. They did anything. Yeah. And so there's a trust factor involved. Now, I, I would go to this guy. His name was Gil. And Gil and this the front of his shop had a huge picture of himself. Like that was his logo was him. <laughs> and then you walk into his office and often you go into mechanics and they're filthy and there's you know, greasy things everywhere. But he had, on the back wall, he had just pictures of his kids and his family, a hundred photos of his family and kids. And he had his own f- picture out the front. And what struck me was like, you, you feel like you can trust this guy because he's got his family front and center and he's got his own photo out the front, like that's his logo. It, was a, it wasn't a photo, it was a drawing of his face. But, and then later I was working in the auto industry and I said, you know, we, we knew our research showed us that we needed to get closer to our customers and build more trust and stuff. And so the idea was, well, let's kind of, uh, we, and we own like a hundred repair mechanic shops and we had a corporate brand name on them. And I said, well, why don't we kind of keep the corporate brand name, but why don't we take the, 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 the manager, the service manager of that site and put his picture out the front, like make it as big as our logo. And I remember like the consternation that went down, like, why would we do that? And they're just employees and the brand matters more than him. And, and I gave the example of Gil and I just said, you need trust. And it's, it's, it's personal service. Um, I really think that's a magic move. I think brands mm-hmm. get in the way of the personality and, and Gil is still in business now. I drove past him the day. Twenty years later, his picture's still at the front, and he's built a great local, you know, local business where people have gone back to him for for decades. So, anyway, that kind of connection, I think, is going to matter even more in the years ahead. Yeah, I love that. It reminds me of kind of on the opposite end of the scale, but the same. I hope. I lived with a housemate recently that uh, worked for Porsche in Brighton, so fancy suburb 
fancy car. And he gets social anxiety, so they had a big event on. He goes, Do you want, can you come? Can you come to this event? Because he's, he's cool with selling cars to people one-on-one, but put uh, you know a couple hundred people in the room and whoo. And I was like, yeah, all right, I'm not really a car person. So I went and it was a huge, you know, I remember standing there, and this is funny, right? This is the power of great branding and great marketing and, and the energy of it. I remember the energy and I and I fell in love with the brand of Porsches after this, and I can't even tell you why or what was said. or it, it's All it's left me with is the, the feeling of the memory of the experience. I remember standing in front and looking through the glass window at the complete at the clean workshop where there was not a fingerprint and these stunning okay. cars in the in the mechanics workshop mm. and looking through there going wow it's, it's like when though when you go to a restaurant and they have the open kitchen where you can see it and it's clean mm. and then they had all this carry on they had a speaker they they did the whole whatever it was about you know and I just I just remember having feeling a part of something that made me feel part of something that made me want to be part of this thing that they'd built that wasn't a car had nothing to do with the car and like how crazy is that see because I can't even put words to it right now it was a couple of years ago but ever since yeah. I was like if I go ever bought a prestige car it's going to be a Porsche because yeah. I remember yeah, that feeling yeah I mean brands um yeah, the best brands in the world do that, right? And yeah. they they make you feel like you said, they make you feel part of something. Yes. And because we all want to belong to something. And in the past, there were no brands, you know, 100, 200 years ago before mass media, there were no such things as brands. And so we belong to our local community, right? You, yes. You, you would be born and you would die in the same village or town, you know, even, even in my lifetime, you know, maybe for many people listening, you know, you, your parents or grandparents, you know, the grandma lives in the same house that she was born in. Yes. And that just doesn't happen anymore. We're all, you know, we're all thrown to the winds. We live all over different places. We move around a lot. Our kids yeah. go overseas. And so brands have stepped in to kind of play this role of, you know, connector, a place where mm. people can belong. And and the best brands do that really well. And and they're very, you know, Porsche, there's no accident that that happened, right? Yeah. Porsche has thought long and hard and done lots of analysis about exactly what levers to pull to make you feel a certain way when you're in their orbit. But I would suggest that I think for small business who don't have, you know, the same resources and, you know, creating, creating a brand is really important and, and living by that brand. But I think you have a, a secret weapon that Porsche doesn't have, which is you have you, you have, yes. you have the people who really own and belong and feel like they own the own the business, which is yes. the bigger companies and brands become, the harder that becomes yep. to do. You, you know, it's hard to get a hundred thousand people to feel like they really belong. It's easier to get ten people or a hundred people to feel like they really belong. Um, it's still not easy, but it's easier. So I think small business has an advantage in that sense. Like you can create like amazingly driven cultures where people are absolutely. You know, you get the great people to come in and do their best work and to just be evangelists for what you're, what you're doing. And if you can do that, you just have such a powerful uh, force, even though it's a relatively small business, it can be just so powerful. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I love that. Plenty of insights. Can you share, share with us uh, what you do and how, how you, people like, do you have anything you'd like to promote to the network? Is there any resources that you have to share? 
Yeah, great question. So, um, no, really, uh, to be honest unless with you. We, unless we need a brain scan. <laughs> yeah. so, but here's what I do. I'll tell you, there's, there's basically two things I do today. One is I run this company called Omniscient. Um, but two is I do spend a lot of time with corporate events, leadership teams, strategies, meetings, whatever. Um, and I get invited a lot to come and talk about um, usually three or four different subjects. One is just about kind of what we're talking about here. You're like, how do I lead? How do I build companies? How do I build culture mm. in the world, particularly in this new digital world that we live in? So I talk a lot about that. Um, the second topic is just about how technology is changing the world, particularly uh, artificial intelligence and data. And so even and how companies need to get their heads around that and come to yeah. grips with that. And the third is really around kind of customers and consumers and you know how do you how do you think about and build cultures to be able to be really like Facebook was obsessed you know to care more so um, those are things I get asked to talk about a lot and I almost always say yes even though I'm busy running my own company I love to go out and meet other entrepreneurs business owners you know other industries because I always learn a lot and it builds my network as well. And you just never know when you're going to, when you're going to need to call somebody because you got some other crazy idea that you want to do. And you say, ah, I know somebody I can call. Oh, I love that. What a great finishing comment, because that is the ethos of what we're all about. Giving, being there, connecting with other people. Cause you never know, you never know when you're going to tap someone on the shoulder and it's and the great, history, and the great thing about Australia, I'm American, but I've been here for, like 25 years is you can get your arms around really powerful networks here Mm -hmm. because the the distance between you and the next, the person you want to know, or the the person higher up that you think you need to connect with, isn't that far. Like there's only so many degrees of separation here because we're a relatively small country. And so um, I find that like, I know I've obviously know guys in the U S I mean, they're, they, they put as much, they put 10 times more energy in the networking than I do here. And yet they seem to get like worse results. Yeah. Wow. Here. And so yeah. I think, you know, you really got to, you got to return on your investment in Australia. If you really put your effort and your time in and your, and your kind of your energy into network, I think you can get really pay great dividends here in Australia. And it's pretty unique to this, this business culture. I love it. I'm going to throw one last red herring question your way. Do you use Facebook? Yes, but a lot less than I used to. <laughs> good for business? Yeah, Facebook, well, it's not as good as it used to be, as we've <laughs> probably seen the headlines. Uh, you, you can't target uh, and measure ads as well as you used to on Facebook. But, you know, look, we live in a digital world, the digital platforms, you, every company is different. And Facebook has a huge number of people on Facebook. I, I can't remember this, like 90% of people on the internet are on Facebook. Right. So if you are advertising Internet, you're going to have to deal with Facebook or Instagram or you know those platforms in some way. But I'm completely divested of my Facebook shares now. I'm, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a clean sheet. So uh, you, you, you don't worry. I'm not, I'm not trying to promote Facebook or, or diss Facebook. The different things work for different people. Yeah. I love it. Hey, thank you so much, Stephen. It's been an absolute pleasure. And I think that we've drawn out a bit of value. Definitely food for thought for me. I ought to work on my delegating. <laughs> Delegate, Tiff. Get, get the work off your plate. That's the way to do it. All right. Thank you. Thanks, everyone, for tuning in.
What a weapon. How good is it to be able to speak to the former CEO of Facebook Australia and New Zealand? Now, if you haven't, if you're not familiar with Stephen Sheeler, go and check out his TED Talk. He did a TED Talk and from memory, I think that it's called the... The five things I learned from being the oldest person at Facebook. So when Stephen joined as Facebook CEO, he was 47. Mark Zuckerberg was 27. And the median age at Facebook was 25. So it was literally double the age. Well, it wasn't, that was not literally, is it? <laughs> Close to double the age of everybody there. So I reckon that would have been a, a huge experience. So go check out that TED Talk. But in the meantime, I'm going to leave you with my three fresh nuggets that I pulled out of that conversation. And the first one was when he talked about the leader being the servant. And I thought that is a brilliant mindset. And especially for anyone who is growing a business so maybe recruiting underneath them and needing to step up into a leadership role so I think that's really important he, he stated it is my job to make you successful and I think with a mindset like that you probably can't go too far wrong um, the second one was the job I have now didn't exist when I went to uni and that landed with me because the job I have now <laughs> Sure wasn't on the table when I was back at school. Um, but the real nugget he dropped there was that idea around going when we study, going to learn how to learn because the skill, by the time we learn the skill, the skill might be obsolete. So learning how to learn, I thought that was a real little treasure hidden in there. Third one, how lucky are we in Australia if you are in Australia when you're listening to this because you're probably not. And if you're not, come over and have a coffee with us. We are a good sort over here and you just heard from Stephen what an advantage we have over here when it comes to networking and how closely connected we are with people. So that I loved that, right, because this is a networking-focused podcast and what a gem to drop in the conversation that was and I think that it's very true Thank you so much to Stephen Sheila. I adored having him on and we'll see you guys turn up next week for another brilliant guest. Thanks for tuning into this episode of Let's Get Fresh. Don't keep us to yourself, share the fresh and of course, subscribe to our podcast so you can keep the fresh goodness coming your way. If we've tantalised your networking taste buds, get along to a fresh event near you. Grab your free guest pass at www.freshnetworking.com.au. Until next time, stay fresh.